right, awesome, awesome. If you are joining us, thank you so much for uh, joining us and being with us this morning. Um, yes, I am here live, and I'll tell you more about that here in just a moment. Um, but if you have your Bibles, grab those. Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 1 is where we'll be. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Um, and man, we have had a crazy week in the Miller house. Uh, as we prepared um, for something that we, we didn't prepare because we had no idea to prepare, but as we, uh, Monday came and gone like a normal Monday for us, Tuesday started out normal, uh, and then that afternoon I got a call from Meredith, and she said after she gets off work, uh, we're going to have to go back down to the hospital for a moment, uh, just to be checked out, just to be in triage, uh, she could be preeclampsia, and so, um, so we did that, we go down there, I packed a bag just in case, thinking, okay, this is no big thing, my woman's tough, you know what I'm saying, and women, I just want to commend you for a moment, you are phenomenal um and so after everything this week that i've seen and two other boys uh, and y'all are tough tough amazing amazing people and so we're sitting there at the hospital and, and we're getting checked in all that good stuff and they take her blood pressure and as they take her blood pressure it was like 250 over uh, 130 or something and i'm like okay cool this is good like she's winning 250 that's good like big right i'm thinking like football type stuff here apparently 250 over anything is never good um, as the look on the nurse's face uh, reassured me of that real quick. And so, um, so they kind of start to scramble, get IV in her, get some stuff going, come to find out she's preeclampsia. Um, they admit her, and then over the next few uh, days, just a whirlwind of emotion, a whirlwind of everything going on. Um, as Thursday, uh, 2-11, we got to welcome into this world at 32 weeks uh, Bishop uh, Miller. And so we are super excited for that. Um, he's doing great um, in the NICU, uh, but then Meredith, her blood pressure is continuing to kind of just give her some fits, and so I just ask if you would please just be praying for her. Um, like I said, she's kind of battling and fighting that. Um, she still isn't out of the hospital yet, um, so as soon as I finish, I'm going back down uh, to be with her and just kind of hang out with her, and so, but, but we do. We cover your prayers there um, for her blood pressure. Once it can kind of get regulated some, then they can, they can release her, but uh, man, what a week just to be able to celebrate all that God has done and his goodness and his faithfulness, and I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about that here shortly, but just all that he has accomplished and done in our family, and, and just even in this moment of uncertainty, just teaching me all the more to trust and to uh, rely on him, and so, um, so that was really a crazy week, and then, um, and we're excited for next week, as Tyler mentioned, uh, our regathering, um, and so we're to press upon you the same things that we have. Uh, we've got some air purifiers that are supposed to kill things in the air, viruses, different things like that. It has been proven to uh, kill the COVID virus, and so we've got those type of things running in our building, not to mention uh, Miss Donna as she cleans and, and, and sanitizes and does all those type of things. But we want to say this, that if you do not feel comfortable coming, please, please, please stay at home. Or if you want to wear a mask or gloves, whatever, however you want to be next Sunday, if you regather with us, you are more than welcome to do that. There will be no condemnation here. If you don't come, there'll be no pressure here. Uh, if you uh, don't come, there'll be none of that. We just want you uh, to do whatever you feel safe and is best for you, and we're going to do our best to social distance. We'll have hand sanitizer, all of those type of things to be as safe as we possibly can here on campus, and so we are excited about that because, church, we've got to get back at it. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up in the near future. And so, um, like, next month, we're celebrating 14 years old. Like, our church has been here for 14 years. 2006 of August is when it was planted. And so we're going to celebrate, um, celebrate that this month as we turn 14. I mean, how amazing is 
that. And then we've also got our budget that will be rolling out in October, so we've got to get that out to you. We want to uh, be praying and just some things that God has pressed upon our heart as leadership here that we want to look to the future to be doing and being more active in our community. So, we, man, we've just got a lot of stuff that's coming up, a lot of stuff that we are excited to put before you, to be praying through, to be walking in faith in. And so we are excited for that, and we want to get back to it. Um, so I'm going to uh, ask you if you would join me as we pray, and then we'll just kind of jump in and we'll get, get going uh, on where we're going to be. So, Father, we love you. Jesus, I just thank you. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness. I mean, how fitting this morning the songs that we have sung. God, how we depend upon you, how we need you. God, how you're there in the middle of whatever fire, whatever flood, whatever thing that this world throws at us. How, God, you have promised us your presence. And so, Jesus, I just thank you so much for that. Father, I ask God that you move and speak this morning, Lord, as this message goes out, as your gospel is proclaimed, Father, that it'll, that it'll fall on hearts, and God, that they would be set free, God, that the hearts would be rescued and redeemed if there'd be one that don't know you, Father, if there'd be one that, that struggles, God, that you would set that captive free and that you would draw them to you all the more, God, help them walk out faithful obedience. And so, Father, again, I just thank you for all that you've done. God, Doug is heavy on our heart in this place. And so, God, we pray that you heal, that you move. God, it just makes me think also of Chuck. Father, God, same thing as he's going through treatments. Father, we pray that you just heal those two men. God, we love them and we thank you for them. And just their, uh, their uh, encouragement that we get from them, their faithfulness that we get from them that we see. God, we just pray that you move in a mighty way. And, Father, I just, just pray for my wife this morning as she's sitting there in the hospital and her blood pressure all over the place. God, I just pray for healing there. God, that you would just move. And God, as your word is proclaimed, God, that you would take this and that you would do with your word what you see fit. Father, that you would preach this much better than any human could ever. And so may your Holy Spirit fall heavy upon hearts. Jesus, we love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series, What in the World? And so the, the whole premise behind this series has been just looking at our world, looking at our culture and thinking, what in the world is going on? How do we as believers respond? What do we do in those moments? And, and my hope and my prayer has been throughout this series that we would have kind of a, a landing place, that we have a foundation that we could go back to, that we could, could look at, that we could revisit from the Word of God that would explain, that would describe, that would uh, direct us in exactly what is happening in our world. What in the world, when we make that statement or we think that thought, that we could actually have a place that we could go back to that would allow us to land and be centered and have a greater understanding and perspective of everything that we're taking in and observing and assessing. That's been the hope and prayer in this series. And so it's been tough. This series has been very, very weighty. I think the things that, that we looked at, it hasn't been very good news, but it's been true news. It hasn't been good, but it's been true. And as bad as it is, there is good news for us. There is hope for us. And so if we don't know that our diagnosis is terminal, then we're probably not going to accept the doctor's remedy. If we don't understand and see what's really happening at a deeper level when, when the doctor walks into the room and gives us what's happening, we probably won't accept it. And so Jesus made this comment. He says that he didn't come for those who are well, but those who needed a physician, those who are sick. And so the tough truth is that that means that everybody, we're all sick. We're all born into this world sick, sinners, depraved at the core. And we're in need of being made well, being made whole. And so when we watch the news, when we read the papers, when we check social media, talk to a neighbor, just look around and view and see everything that's going on, and we have that question pop in our heart or mind, 
What in the world? I mean, we can know now it's because that we live in a world that's fractured, a world that's fallen, a world that's broken. And our world is like it is, is because of the sin. Because sin enters, and as sin enters, sin messes up, and it, and it, and it distorts, and it does all kinds of things that, that ruins. And so that's what we see taking place in our world right now. Everything that's happening that's negative, that isn't God-honoring, is because of sin, because of the fall, because we live in a fractured world. So what do we do? How do we respond? A conversation that I had a few weeks ago with some good friends, actually two different people brought this question up to me. Like, let's go, what do we do? How do we respond? Isn't it time for the church to, to do and the church to be? And, 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 and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how to. I don't know. And so as I pondered, as I thought on that, as I prayed through that, that question, today is the day that we answer that. T- today is the day that we look at that question through the lens of the gospel through the lens of the scriptures, and we ask, we answer that question. When will we finally have our day? When will we finally have the opportunity? And so I'm not so sure if that's what we should be concerned about. I'm not so sure if that's what we should be focused on and centered on. Because what we know from the scriptures is this, is that Jesus has the final say. Jesus will have that day where every tongue confesses and every knee bows. But we as his people had better be getting on with some things when that day comes. In preparation for. And so I know that as bad as I want him to come riding in and to rescue and redeem and to pull us out and to set things right. As bad as my heart longs for that, there's also this longing that he will just push pause for a moment. It's almost as if I'm like, okay, God, one more, give us one more day. Jesus, yes, I want to be with you, God. Yes, I want you for eternity. Yes, I want to experience all of that and everything to be made right and set on straight path. But what does that mean for your lost neighbor? What does that mean for the one who doesn't know Jesus as Savior? What does that mean for the most wicked and vile here on earth now? Because when Jesus sets things right... When Jesus makes and does what he has proclaimed and said that he is going to do, and there is no doubt in my mind or heart that he's going to do that, what does that mean for that lost person? Family member? Neighbor? Rioter? Racist? Bigot? Liar? Cheater? Manipulator? You name it. What does that mean for them? And so what that means is eternity separated. And church, for us, that's not something to celebrate. That's something to be brokenhearted over. Regardless of how wicked and vile they may be. That's to be brokenhearted over because it is absolutely horrific. There's not even words in the English language that could convey the thought and the reality of what's going to happen on that day. And so, what do we do? And so today for the message, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm kind of excited, but, but not. I'm very Baptist this morning. Three points, no poem, three points. And so the three points, if you're type A, is pray, preach, pursue. The three Ps this morning. That, that's our response as the church, as believers, is to pray, to preach, and pursue. That's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so we'll get to, to Romans here in just a second, but I, I, I came across this quote this week. Uh, And it's a very good quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, he says, We pray best when we are fallen on our faces in painful helplessness. 
He says that we pray best when we're fallen on our faces in painful helplessness. When we have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn, nothing else to do. We're just completely and utterly helpless. And church, so often we forget that that's the position that we're in. All the time. And our only hope is Christ. And he says that in that moment, that's when we pray the best. So for me, example this week, as God just knocks me on my back, as we're sitting there in the hospital, as we're getting ready and trying to figure out, and we roll in and I figure out that that blood pressure is in a dangerous place, and it looks like we're going to have a baby at 32 weeks, not having a clue what that means. There's nothing that this fixer here, this man here can do. Nothing. I mean, I don't know anything medical. I thought 250 was good. We're winning. Yes, we're high. Let's do this. Let's get to 1,000. And in that moment, as I figure out and I come to understand out of my ignorance what's taking place, there's nothing I can do. They, they won't give me not one shot to give her. They won't give me not one medication to, to perform and give to her. They, they'll let me do nothing but sit in the corner. And, and what I've come to find out is that's where I do my best work. Church, that's, that's where we should do our best work. Helpless in the corner. That's what Spurgeon is saying. We pray best when we're falling on our faces in painful helplessness. And I found out real quick how helpless and pathetic I truly am. And so the thing about prayer as we look at this first point here is if you're like me, probably a lot of your time in your prayer life is you need a jolt. You kind of need a shaking because you get into a rut so easily. It's so easy just to get stuck in that. Where you tend to maybe use the same phrases over and over and over, and you kind of default to this mindless repetition. And so I just, just want to say this, man. The devil hates prayer, and he wants you to be in mindless repetition. He wants you to go to that place where you default, and same phrases over and over and over. He wants you in that rut because he despises prayer, because he knows what prayer does. And what I've come to learn is this, is that my own flesh doesn't naturally love prayer either. It doesn't tend to, to maneuver and go that direction, sway that way. It doesn't come from a complete and passionate desire of our heart. And so it takes grit. It takes an ever-renewed discipline to be men and women that are committed to prayer, that are in, all in, when it, when it means prayer. And, and, and I just, man, I just, just want to say this. As I, as I had the opportunity to send out text messages this week, not really knowing what was happening, and we got to announce and different things like that, there was, there was a lady that I text. That's in our church. And I said, hey, just, just please be praying. And, and as I sent that to her, she texted back and says, we'll be doing it. And she got so crazy. I love this. Gosh, I love this. She got so crazy about praying for, for us that she came to the hospital. And I don't, I don't know if you're aware of, like, protocol at the hospital right now. No visitors. We, we get two people, two people in there. Me and, and Meredith's mother was the only two that got to be there. And, and the only two that get to be there. And so she comes to the hospital with this thought, I mean, I'm, I'm going to come in, I'm going to pray for them. And they turn her away. And so do you know what she does? She begins to, to, to take some laps around the outside of the hospital praying for us. I mean, that's crazy. Is that not, I, I mean, I'm like blown away by this. That, that she comes down and she just starts to make prayer laps around that, that, that hospital. She's claiming and she's asking God to move and she's asking God to, to perform a, a miracle to, to just make his presence known. And she, I mean, she's down there laying hands on this building and praying and calling out our name. 
And, and so as I thought about this week, as I studied and I got to pray a little bit at the beginning of the week for, for where we'd be this morning, I, I came across this, uh, this quote from John Piper as it pertains to prayer. And he says this, and I just picture her like this. She, she gets it. This is where I long to be as a believer. John Piper says this. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. He views prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. He says, God is more like a general in command central than a butler waiting to bring you another pillow in the den. That God's a general up there commanding the army, working and doing and and hearing and listening and, and moving on his behalf for our good and his glory. He says, of course, he's also a father. He's a lover. He's a friend. He's a physician. He's a shepherd. He's a helper. He's a king. He's a savior. He's Lord. He's counselor. But in this fallen world with devils filled, prayer will function best when we keep the frequency tuned to command central in the fight of faith. Wow. What a way to view prayer. I mean, who looks at prayer that way? I mean, I can attest so often in my life, I view God as the butler just to bring and just to get and just to do. Oh, God, I need. Oh, God, can you? God, hello, ring my little bell. God, hey. Instead of this constant open line, because we're in a battle, we're in a fight, good versus evil, and we have an opportunity, church. I mean, how many of us view it like that? God the general, command central, rather than a butler in waiting. And so we need to have this deep yearning and longing for God that is lived out, how? Through prayer. Through prayer. Like, like we see that played out in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where, where he says, pray without ceasing. It needs to be this ever-going conversation with God. That's what prayer is. Constant in the ear of our Father. Constantly there. Prayer is us walking in relationship with God. That's how we stay connected to Him. That's how we do it, constantly, without ceasing, constantly in this mind and mode of prayer. Like, like, like a week ago, I'm in the kitchen doing something. As I'm in the kitchen doing something, I'm just talking to myself, and Bennett comes around the corner, and he's like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I don't have my phone up, and I'm just doing my thing. He's like, he's like Dad, who are you talking to? I said, but I'm just talking to Jesus. And so there's times where I just out loud or just say some things to him or just have this conversation because, because I want to press. I want to get to this place where, where I'm praying constantly without ceasing. In the, ear of our, in the ear of God, that's where I want to be. And I want to model that. I want to live that out. And I so horrifically do that. But, but I want to try and I want to ask God to give me a greater desire and a love for him that, that, that manifests itself in conversation constantly without ceasing. So my question is, what do we pray for? What in the world in this day does this look like for us? In, in this season, as it pertains to the lostness of the world, as it pertains to everything that we're being bombarded by with virus, with protests, with this, with that, with, with, with the race wars going on, with, with, with the fallenness of humanity, what in the world do we pray for? Because, church, this is our response. Church, this is our time to shine. Church, this is our time to be. Church, this is our time to do something and get off the sidelines and get engaged in the game. And I believe the first thing that we need to do is this, is to pray. And so we pray for the lost. Romans 10.1, that's where we're going to be. We pray 
for the lost. This is what Paul says to the believers at Rome. He says, brothers, my harsh desire. So Paul's going to pull back the curtain for a second. He's going to give you a glimpse into his heart, into his longings, into his hopes, into his wants. He says, this is my harsh desire. This is what I'm longing for. This is what I want. This is what I need. He says, and uh, this is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. That's Paul's longing. How's Paul being active? He's praying for the lost. He wants the lost to come to know Jesus. How does our world get better? The gospel's proclaimed and dead heart is made alive. That's how our world gets better. Not educating more, not putting more programs, not dumping more money here or there, not, not getting angrier and throwing stuff. None of that works. It's the gospel that changes hearts and sets the captives free. And that's what Paul is praying for. His desire and longing and prayer to God is for them who the lost, that they may be saved. He wants to see the lost enter into a relationship with God by way of Jesus. To behold the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and to surrender in glad obedience, how through faith in Jesus. And so we pray. I mean, we pray with a deep desire and a longing for this world, for fallen humanity. Pray that they are awakened to their lostness and that they, they understand and see that they are an offense to God. And experience the glorious gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. As we've sung about it this morning. As we've proclaimed it this morning in our homes, online. That the lost world would see that and understand of their great need for him. And I guess my question for you this morning, church, is if you want to know what do we do now? How do we get involved? When was the last time you prayed like that for someone? When was the last time from your knees... In the depth of your closet, that you cried out for your neighbor, for your coworker. You cried out for someone who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so I believe Paul would say, Church, you, you want to be active? You, you want to do something in what's going on right now? How, how do we respond? What do we do? We pray. We pray. That's what we do. We pray for the lost. And then it brings us to the second people that I believe we need to pray for. We need to be praying for the proclaimers. We pray for the lost, but we also need to be praying for those who are going to proclaim the message of Jesus. And so Paul just finished saying, pray at all times in the Spirit and with supplication. And then he says this in Ephesians 6. So he just finished saying that, praying, praying at all times that we need to be constant in prayer, which just echoes their Thessalonians. And he says, pray in the Spirit that God would direct, that God would lead, that we'd be in tune with, that we'd be obedient to. Pray for supplication. And he says this in Ephesians 6, the second little part of 18. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Be aware, church, we need to be aware. We need to stay alert. We need to be, we need to be persevering. Making supplication. Supplication, supply. God, supply. God, do. God, be. For what? For all the saints. For all the believers in the world. We're all in the same boat together. We're all unified. We should be unified. And we're uh, one team, one army, marching for one. And so pray for making supplication for all the saints. And then he says also for me that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for all saints that they would be supplied, that God would be for them all that they need. And then pray for me that God would give me this boldness to open my mouth and to proclaim the name of Jesus, the, the mysteries of this glorious gospel for which I am an ambassador in change in verse 20. 
that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. That's what Paul's praying for, longing for. Pray for the saints and pray for God to give him words that he can proclaim boldly. I mean, how crazy is that to think about for a second? The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul praying that the believers in Ephesus would would pray for him to have a boldness? I mean, if I thought if anybody would need to tone their boldness down, it would be the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't seem to be the case. No, no, he says, please, please, pray that I would have boldness. Pray that I would have words to say to describe this mystery of this glorious gospel. Pray that, that, pray that, that God would fill me with that. So we need to be praying for those who are proclaiming the gospel. We pray for the lost. We pray for those who proclaim. And, and that's all believers everywhere. So it's missionaries, it's pastors. But now let's look outside of the realm of, of, of the church and of, of, of the gospel in that regard. And let's think about it like this. What about school teachers? I mean, they're about to go back to school right now. Maybe, maybe not. Hybrid type stuff, on campus type stuff. They don't, they don't know what this year's going to look like. Man, how great an opportunity do they have to proclaim the good news of the gospel in these uncertain, wavering days? So you pray for school teachers, you pray for business owners, you pray for bankers, you pray for nurses, you pray for doctors, you pray for coaches, you, you pray for anybody that's a believer, as that scripture says, is a saint which means a follower of Christ. Because church, we're commissioned and called to share the gospel. Not just the guy that stands on the stage, not just the guy that's overseas on the mission field, but anybody who takes the name of Jesus is to proclaim. So the first thing we do is pray. The second thing we do is preach. And when I use preach here, I don't mean like gather a crowd, open up the Bible, put together a little sermon, sermonette, points and poems. We've got to get out of our head this thought to preach like this. Not what's happening this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. See, preach means to proclaim or to tell. That's what preach means, is that that we proclaim the good news, that we tell of the good news of Jesus, whoever we are. And it's not just a pastor. It's not just a a priest. It's not just a missionary. It's not just a Sunday school leader. It's not just a a deacon. It's not just an elder. But but it's the body of Christ that preaches and proclaims. And so what do we preach? I'm happy you ask. Romans 1.16 says this. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul tells the believers in Rome that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel here is good news. That's what gospel is. And so for there to be good news, there has to be bad news. And, and, and so the bad news is that man is lost and in, in need of a savior, in need of a rescuer, in need of a redeemer. They're sick and they need a physician. The good news is that Jesus is that, that redeemer, that fixer, uh, that savior, that rescuer. That's the gospel. First Corinthians says it like this in verse 15, or chapter 15. It says, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. That's what we proclaim as we preach. We preach the gospel. We don't stray away from that. We, we tell lost men about their condition and then we tell them about their hope. We, we tell them about what's going on and then we offer them the remedy. Christ died for our sins, buried and he was raised. And you go back to... Go back as we continue to uh, Romans 16 here. It says, for it is the power of God for salvation. What? The gospel. Paul just said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And then he continues to say, he's, that's the power of God to salvation. You want somebody to be saved, you preach the gospel. You want a sick to be made well, you preach the gospel. You want the crazy to be made sane, you preach the gospel. That's what sets the captive free. That's what rescues and redeems. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone, to the Jew first and also the Greek. 
So the gospel is the power of God. The gospel brings the the dead to life. This is what God uses to make fallen man aware of their condition and their great need of rescuing. Look real fast in in Romans 10 and what else he says about preaching this. Romans 10, 13. And I love this. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the gospel does. It it, it points out and it shows and it it tells us what to do. It tells us how to be made whole. It it, it instructs us and leads us and, and it draws us. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So what Paul says is this, is that the lost call on his name because the gospel has been made known and proclaimed. I mean, how are they going to call him if they've not believed? How are they to believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's what we're called to do. You, you, you want to be a bad mamma jamma right now in this world, as crazy and as falling apart as it is? You want to be radical for a second in how we respond and what we do in this offset craziness of a world? You start praying out of desperation and you start preaching. You start praying like a wild man or a wild woman. You go down to a dang hospital and you take laps and you put your hand on it and you claim. And while you do that, you start telling people about Jesus when they ask you, what in the heck are you doing? You're trying to push it over? Is there something on it we need to wipe off? What, what are you doing? And you start to tell them exactly what you're doing? And, and they're going to take notice. They're going to think, man, first of all, this, this cat's a little crazy. And I don't know about you, but everybody's looking for something crazy to, to, to film and get a hold of. So you're going to have their ear for a moment, and then you can begin to lovingly share and tell the good news of the gospel and of the great need of Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 15 there. He says, and then how are they to preach unless they are sent? And and so this is going to tie into our last point here in just a moment of this thought of being sent. And And I know the thought that runs through our heads is we try justifying not having to preach or not having to proclaim. I I get it. And the thought is, God hasn't sent me. And so we'll talk here in just a few moments about that because I, I just believe that's a fallacy. I believe that that's false. And I believe that we like to, we like to fall on the fact that we're not educated or, or we just don't know enough or we're just, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and my default has always been this. What God has shown me early on in my ministry is you don't have to be good at proclaiming the gospel. You just got to proclaim it. Because it's the gospel that sets people free, not your presentation of it. It's the God, you just tell people about Jesus the best that you can where you're at. I mean, I can remember a church service where I got up and I, I thought that I bombed and did the worst I've ever done preaching and, and, and it was just horrific. And at the end, this little eight-year-old comes down and says, I want Jesus as my Savior. And I'm like, are you sure? You got that from that? And God reminded me real quick, son, you, you, you just talk about daddy. I'll take care of the rest. You just tell them about me and I'll, I'll do the rest. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to uh, uh, doctor it up. You don't have to make it palatable. You just tell people about Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. So that's what we'll say. I'll, I'll say this, that if we would work as hard as we did trying not to share the gospel as we did trying to get out of it, man, man we as the church would be dangerous. If we worked as hard as we did trying to get out of the gospel in regards to sharing the gospel, 
if we were that difficult to try to share and proclaim and tell of it, man, imagine where the church would be. Imagine. And Paul finishes out like this. He says, It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and how hearing through the word of Christ. So we do it in a way where people can hear the gospel. We do it in a way where people can know the good news. I mean, what good is it if we turn them off before we even have a chance to get started? And I'm not saying we water it down. I'm not saying that we, unapolog- we, we unapologetically preach the gospel, the word of Christ. I just think we need to be aware of how we do that sometimes. I, I just think we need to, to, to look in and see how, how, can, how can we be the most effective in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And I'm not saying that we don't have drive-by gospelings. And what I mean by that is this, those opportunities where you're in the store or at your kid's game or where you're in certain places where you have the opportunity to kind of just, just shoot it in there real quick. I'm not saying that we don't do that. I just believe we need to be looking and we need to be aware of those opportunities. But, but, but I'm looking for those opportunities with your neighbor that's lost. I'm looking for those opportunities when you're at the game and you're sitting beside those group of people for those hours or whatever, I, I'm looking for that opportunity, that, that person that's stuck beside you at work every day, all day long. I, I'm looking for that family member that you spend all kinds of time with. I'm looking for those opportunities. And, and we need to be there. We need to be proclaiming the gospel anywhere and everywhere. But we need to be very intentional as well with those around us, those, those, those that we have the ear and the fellowship of, those people that know us, those people that we can speak the life of the gospel into. Which brings me to my last point is how I believe this works best of what we are to do as a church. How do we respond? We, we pray, we preach, and now we pursue. We pursue. And so I believe that the gospel is best received when the lost world sees us live it out in a tangible way and proclaim it. And I believe one of the best ways for this to happen is relationally, life on life. That, that, that people need to see that. And so we as the body of Christ are to pursue and engage the lost world. I mean, that's what we're to do, Matthew 28. It's a verse that we talk about all the time around here, and I just believe that, it's, that it outlines for us how this happens. In 28.18, it says this, Jesus came and said to them, All authority has been given in heaven and on earth, to him. So, so Jesus has this authority by which he's about to give this command. And so I believe this command was given to the believers there in this moment, but I believe that it also uh, transcends this time, and it's even uh, applicable. It even means something for us here today in this moment. And he says this in 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And how does someone fully follow Jesus? They become saved. God rescues them from their sin, their shame, and he brings them to life. And so Jesus commands us to go make more disciples, more of what we are as followers of Jesus. And so how do we do that? We engage relationally in our world, our community, our circles. We join in with people, and as we do that, we live out this Jesus in front of them. We proclaim this Jesus to them at work, wherever we go. 
in the hopes of earning their trust, their ear, all the while pressing forward in the gospel. Go therefore, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. So what Jesus says is to engage, to pursue, to go after. I, I mean, who, who are you doing life with for the purpose of sharing the gospel and making Jesus Christ known? So you, so you can live this verse out. So you can make disciples. So you can teach them to observe all that Jesus has said and commanded. So that you can walk with them, showing them your, your goods, your bads, every ounce of who you are. All of your struggles are on the table. All of that stuff's there for them to see. So they can see how you respond, how you're dependent upon Christ, how you constantly run back to Him. That, that's, that's how we do it, church. You want to be crazy in this time of unrest and uncertainty? You pray like a crazy man and woman. You preach like a crazy man and woman. And you pursue the lost world. You pursue like a crazy man or woman. And you go after that neighbor. You go after that person that doesn't know Jesus, that's hard toward him, that wants nothing to do with the gospel. You want to make a difference. You do it one person at a time. For you, parent, you do it in your home. Start to teach your kids about Christ. Start to walk with them and show them and share with him. Let them see how great he is. Talk about the sunset and the sunrise. Talk about all that he has done. Talk about how he, he delivers babies at 32 weeks and he makes them right. How he, how he rescues the sick. How he does all of this type of stuff. You share with him the grandeur and the glory of our God. And you let him grab a hold of their little heart and start to shape and start to mold. And, and, and you want to see this world turn? You want to see the darkness become a little bit more light? And you get a hold of people's hearts with the gospel? Man, and things will start to flip upside down. Church, that's what we do. That's what we do. And I just love this promise. I'm with you always. So Jesus, as the band comes back up, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit and he directs us and he guides us and he convicts us and he does a work in us. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've punted on this. Where I've been in those situations and those circumstances to where I've felt him prompting me to share the gospel with somebody or to talk about Jesus with somebody. You know what I did? I just make a left turn right quick and keep my mouth shut or I go to well, what did you think about the game last night or I go go to one of those places I think what God's done in this series and what God's done through some of the things that I've been through over the last few months is simply this is like, Scott, if it, we can ask that question church what are we going to do but I would beg of you not to ask it if you're not going to be serious with the response it's cute and it's nice to ask those questions and to say and to think. And, and, and I don't know if you've been like me because the last few months, I thought we, we need to get our tail on the, on the corner and we need to start throwing some stuff back. And we need to, I mean, we're not chunking bricks, we're chunking Bibles, you know what I'm saying? That's what we'll be chunking. Bottles of water with a verse on it. Maybe it'll hit him in the head, maybe it won't. And God so lovingly challenged me. He said, Scott, okay, are you praying for our world? Are you praying for those people that don't understand and know the gospel? Remember, as we've said in this series, the lost is going to act like the lost. We can't expect them to be nice and civilized and cute and good. They're going to, the lost world is going to act like the lost world. They're going to respond like the lost world. So, so, so Scott, you want to make a difference? Are you praying for them? And I don't mean like, okay, God, if you, 
let him stop. Let him do this. God, move him on to the next city. God, do that. God, let this COVID thing just kind of dissipate and go away. I'm sick and tired of being inconvenienced. I'm tired of things being difficult. I want routine. I want to get back to it. That's not prayer. That's not wartime prayer. No, 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 wartime prayers. God, save. God, rescue. God, give me a heart and, and a compassion for the lost world. God, help me to walk with and see. Because what we do, we, we pray and then we, we preach. Who am I preaching the gospel to? And church, I don't think this counts. This is an unfair advantage for me. And me sitting here as, as you sit in the comfort of your home or as you're going to gather back in these chairs to, to tell people about the Jesus that you come to hear about, that you say that you love, this, this isn't preaching the gospel. I mean, yes, it is, and it's going to make a difference, our hope and our prayers, but I'm talking about my neighbor. When's the last time I talked to my neighbor about Jesus? What about those nurses at check-in this week? What about the guy at the restaurant? That, that, what about the person that you work with? What, what about all of those opportunities? That's what I'm talking about, Preach. So we pray, we preach, and then you know what? We get radical and we get crazy, and we try to uh, invite ourselves in or invite them into us. So, man, I don't quite understand everything that you believe or everything that you're about, but what I would love to do is I would love to go sit down and have lunch with you. And I would just love to have the opportunity to hear where you're coming from. And it's on me. I'll pick up the tab. Or it's going over to your neighbor while they're outside and being like, hey, what can I do to help you around your house? This neighbor who maybe doesn't know Jesus, and you begin to engage them, or that person that you work with, can, can, we, can we just maybe get coffee once a week for the next few months? I would just like to get to know you better. I mean, I would love to hear where you've come from. love to hear your heart. I'd love to just really get to know you. I know it's kind of a lonely world right now, and, and, and we all need friends, and I would love to just befriend you and get to know you in a deep... I mean, it, it's doing stuff like that, pursuing. Why? Because as we engage, as we get to know, then we have opportunity to share the gospel. Because as you get to hear their story, I'm sure they're going to probably ask, now, now what about you? Where'd you come from? I mean, what do you think about where our world's at? I mean, there's, oppor- there's a door wide open, church, for the opportunity to be able to share. So what in the world do we do when enough is enough? We've had all that we can take, and we're sick and tired of it, and we want to see change, and we want to see something done. What in the world do we do? Because I would venture to say, if we're asking that question, which I'm sure all of us has, myself included, I would say that we're a little late to the game, that we're a little behind And we haven't been doing what God has called us to do. And so this is what I want to encourage you. Feel the conviction in that. Feel the weight of that. That yes, this is just as much our fault as it is anybody else's. Because we as a church have been silent for too long. And when I mean silent, I don't mean standing on the corner with a megaphone. I'm not talking about getting a a marquee that flashes brighter than anything else in the city. I'm talking about us being a little salt and light in our community. Being glimpses of, of Jesus in our world. And what we do is we feel the weight of that for a moment. We let God convict us and break our heart over the fact that we haven't been praying, that we haven't been preaching, and that we haven't been pursuing. And then we say, God, we're sorry. Continue to break my heart. Let me feel the weight. And now what I'm going to do is pursue. I'm going to preach, and I'm going to pray like a wild man or a wild woman for that your glory to be made known, for hearts to be turned, for lives to be changed, for rescue to happen, for dead to come to life. Church, that's how the world's changed. And my hope and my prayer is that we feel the weight of that and we do something about it and we say that enough is enough. 
And we allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict us and to draw us. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about crazy, don't, not, not crazy stuff yet. And you just pick something, you start praying like crazy every day. Every day. And you just try to find the ear. Maybe you try to understand the gospel a little bit better so that you can present it somewhat. You can just tell people about Jesus a little bit. Tell your story. Your story is your story. Tell what he's done there. And then you find somebody that you can do life with, that you can journey with throughout the reality of of these things, praying for and preaching the gospel to. And church, that's how we do it. And it it may not change things quickly, but it'll start to change. And as change happens, our prayers that this wave just takes over and the Holy Spirit of God falls upon hearts. I just think of Paul in the book of Acts as they preached to a whole continent in Asia and the whole continent in Asia had heard the gospel. Didn't come to know Jesus as Savior, but they had heard the gospel. Church, that needs to be us. And that's the way it starts, by, by praying, by preaching, and pursuing. May God just wear you out with this and may he conform your heart all the more to the, to, to the reality of his glorious son. And may he this week get you to pray and get you to preach and get you to engage this dark world. May God bless you. Father, we need you. Jesus, convict us, draw us, do a work in us. Help us, God, get to the place where we need to be, where we can be used by you. God, I pray this message shakes the church at its very foundation. God, we're sorry we haven't been. God, I'm sorry that I haven't been and done all that you've asked and expected of us. God, help me, convict me, draw me all the more to your side. Give me boldness like Paul uh, prayed for. God, help us in this time of need to be a light in a dark world. In your name we pray. Amen.